the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back listeners. We're talking about the female athlete triad with Dr. Aubrey Armento and Amanda McCarthy, who's a registered dietitian. We talked about the first arm, if you will, of the triad with low energy availability and some talk about nutrition. Let's talk a little bit about the menstrual cycle and irregularities. I was reviewing your screening questionnaire that you asked these patients to answer questions, and there was quite a bit dealing with menstrual irregularities. Could you please spend some time talking about this, how it affects the female athlete? Also, is it common or even expected for the high-level female athlete to develop amenorrhea? I think to start, I can just provide a little bit more context on what we consider to be abnormal or irregularity in, in menstruation. So the first is primary amenorrhea, which refers to a lack of a first menstrual period by age 15 in the presence of other secondary sex characteristic development. And then there's secondary amenorrhea, which means somebody has reached menarche, has had their first period, and then they lose their period for three or more consecutive months. And then oligomenorrhea refers to irregular uh, cycle lengths, often more prolonged uh, time in between cycles, which can lead to fewer than nine or fewer periods in, in the prior 12 months. And so a lot of the triad screening questions are to understand whether somebody falls into one of these categories of amenorrhea or oligomenorrhea. And in a female athlete, we should never just assume it is normal for somebody to lose their period in the setting of high levels of training. I will say in the young athlete, having some menstrual irregularity, especially in the first year or two from menarche, we can see that and it doesn't necessarily fall into the category of abnormal, but we should never just assume that menstrual irregularity is because somebody, you know, is just one year post-menarche, especially in a female athlete. We should always be asking other questions to understand whether the fact that somebody is having a regular period is their body's way of, of trying to show that they're not getting adequate nutrition to support their energy demands. And so those screening questions are meant to, to identify those who may be more at risk and to ask some more questions about nutrition and eating and to identify those who may be in a state of low energy availability and that may be contributing to their menstrual dysfunction. And I think a big reason why we focus a lot on menstrual dysfunction is because we know that it leads to negative bone health consequences. So estrogen is a really important hormone in promoting bone health. It decreases resorption of bone or is an anti-resorptive hormone. And so we do see a clear link in those with decreased estrogen being more at risk for declines in, in their bone health. There are other factors outside of menstrual function that affect bone health. So there are other hormones, including thyroid hormone and IGF-1 and growth hormone that also can be affected in a state of low energy availability that can lead to, to decreased bone health. But estrogen, we just know, is 
is very important for that and and a big reason why we put a lot of emphasis on menstrual function in the athlete triad. To answer your question, no, it, it shouldn't be expected that an athlete would lose their period in high levels of training, although unfortunately that is still a really common misconception in the community and the coaching and athlete community, but also still in healthcare communities as well. I, I still get a lot of families who come to me and tell me that they had a doctor who told them it was normal that they had lost their period or even that if they didn't lose their period, that means they weren't training hard enough, which it was very hard for me to hear because it's it's is misinformation and I think it can lead to unhealthy behaviors in that female, especially that young female athlete population. Let's talk a little bit about osteoporosis. And I have had a number of young women come through that either had an eating disorder or high-level athletes that have had stress fractures and multiple stress fractures. Do you do bone mineral density screening on the young female athletes who are at risk of osteoporosis, like with a DEXA scan? And what would be some criteria, if you do that, that you might order a test? I do utilize DEXA scans in those who are at risk for low bone mineral density. The Female Athlete Triad Coalition Consensus Statement has risk factors that are extrapolated from the answers that come from those risk assessment questions in order to determine whether basically a DEXA scan should be ordered for somebody. So those risk factors include details about their menstrual history, the history of an eating disorder or disordered eating. There is a BMI and weight criteria risk factor, as well as the number of bone stress injuries that someone has sustained. So for example, if someone has one or more high risk factor, which would include secondary amenorrhea leading to lack of six periods in you know the prior 12 months or a history of amenorrhea for that extent of time, if they have a diagnosed eating disorder, a high risk bone stress injury like a femoral neck or a sacral bone stress injury, that even just one of those high risk factors, they do recommend obtaining a DEXA scan or two or more of the moderate risk factors that they spell out. So I do that risk assessment and then I and I use that to guide my decision making around ordering DEXA scans for these athletes. And if they do have lower bone mineral density, then repeating a DEXA scan about every year to see if we ideally see improvements in bone mineral density over time with nutritional intervention and that multidisciplinary treatment approach. Would the same areas be scanned with a DEXA, i.e. the lumbar spine, like L4-5, and the hips, the femoral necks? Or would you focus more on other areas? Uh, would you get more distal radius? Or how would you do that? Yeah, the recommendations are based on age. So in somebody who's under the age of 19, they recommend doing a total body, less head, and lumbar spine sites for the DEXA. In those who are over the age of 19, we drop the total body less head and move towards assessing the weight-bearing site. So that includes the lumbar spine, femoral neck, and hip. You can consider the distal radius if for some reason those the hip and spine sites cannot be evaluated, but we prefer or, uh, or first assess the lumbar spine uh, femoral neck and, and hip as those weight-bearing sites. 
Gotcha. I, I think DEXA scanning can be used to determine lean mass, lean skeletal mass, or BMI as well. Yes. From total body DEXA scans, we, we can get lean mass. And I think Amanda could speak to why that's particularly helpful for her too. Yeah. So I get very excited with our patients under 19 when we're able to get the total body, which does show us body fat percentage. And from that, I can calculate the lean mass of the athlete. And so what we know is that athletes tend to have higher lean mass. And so it makes my energetic calculations much more accurate because I can use the the energy availability model of using 45 calories per kilo lean mass as the athlete's baseline energy needs, and then add their exercise on top of that to make sure that we're getting them at least that 45 calories per kilo lean mass or higher for the level of exercise that they're participating in. And generally what I see in clinic is that these athletes' energy needs are higher than what would be calculated otherwise. So that that's an incredibly helpful calculation and helpful data point for me. Absolutely. It's very accurate, as I recall. What history, I, I know, I think Dr. Amento, you said if there's a vertebral compression fracture that they have the diagnosis, that they have the triad. But with one more question about the DEXA scores being indicative of low bone mineral density in a young patient, we talk about T-scores and Z-scores with a DEXA scan, and T-scores you're compared to, let's see, Z-scores you're compared to a similar population as yourself, whereas T-score you're compared to like the whole gamut of everyone that has the scan, if I'm correct on that. So Z-score is more effective at diagnosing secondary osteoporosis, I think. If I'm misstating that, Dr. Armento, please help me with that. Sure. So we use um, Z-scores, uh, particularly in the um, younger population, and a diagnosis of osteoporosis comes from Z-score of less than minus two, plus a clinically significant fracture history. And I'll say these definitions I take from the International Society of Clinical Densitometry. They have position statements for adult and pediatrics. The Z-score plus that clinically significant fracture history, which I believe is two long bone fractures before the age of 10 or three before the age of 19, if I'm remembering that correctly. If somebody does not have that clinically significant fracture history, but still has a Z-score of less than minus two, then we consider that low bone mineral density. When we think about the athlete population in particular, female athletes, the American College of Sports Medicine actually considers low bone mineral density a Z-score of less than minus one, between minus one to minus two before considering an osteoporosis diagnosis in female athletes in weight-bearing sports. So I use that criteria in the athletes I see if they have a Z-score of less than minus one, I do consider that low bone mineral density. However, most radiologists, when they read DEXA scans, won't consider anything low if the Z-score is above minus two. So it's just something to, to consider more specifically in that athlete population. And I'm a pediatric sports medicine provider, so I'm mostly working with younger athletes through young adult age. I can't speak too much to T-scores, which I know can be used um, some more in the older population. Dr. Amento and Amanda, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Stay tuned for more discussion on the female athlete triad coming next week. Thank you for listening to the Ortho PAC podcast. We also welcome you to visit our website, paos.org, where members can download 
virtual conference content and get Category 1 CME. For non-members, please visit the aapa.org Learning Central for the PAOS virtual content.